All right, Nick Smart, there are six coaching vacancies in the NFL. I am surprised that it is that few. I believe there should be more. Um, is the Jacksonville Jaguars opening the most attractive in the NFL? Because I keep hearing people talk like it is, and I'm not sure I agree with that. I think it has to be. Um, they've got a solid long-term owner. They're getting Trevor Lawrence, which is uh, the silver line to it all. It sounds like they've got upwards of $100 million in cap space ready to spend. Plus, they've got 11 picks in this draft, so quite the cache of uh, draft picks to use. Now it is Jacksonville. In pre-COVID, their future was over in London. I don't know where we stand with that now. The league has been terribly quiet about that and with COVID going on rightfully so I guess but yeah I, I would say the Jacksonville job is the premier destination right now See, to me I'd rather have that Chargers job because you're looking at a team that somehow ended up going seven and nine with an awful head coach that more or less single-handedly lost them two games and I mean those are the games that Anthony Lynn obviously lost them um who knows how many games if you, you know, competently coach the, the macro game in, in a larger sense. Um, managed to win with four wins. I thought it was hilarious hearing some commentators on the NFL Network act like that was a great sign of how good a coach Anthony Lynn was. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. Let me ask you this. Who didn't get fired that you think should have been? Because I, I've got a few names, but I'm, I'm interested who you think. Uh, let's hear your names first. I think considering what happened at the end of the season, you got to fire Peterson. Uh, I yeah, think there's, there's some backlash there. Clearly. Yeah. Um, I, I think the folks in Denver needed to make a change, um, especially considering the macro game management at the end of that game. Um, and the Bengals didn't make a change for the reason that you've been calling for quite some time. They, they just don't want to spend the money. Like to me, it seems painfully obvious to, to release a statement that says we believe in the foundation that Zach Taylor built of this four and 11 team. It was insulting to the intelligence. Yeah. I mean, owner cheapskate, Mike Brown has zero interest in paying more paying one, you know, more than one coach at once. It's just not going to happen. Um, as far as the Chargers job, I agree with you completely. Um, in fact, I'm going to go out and predict they hire 31-year-old Joe Brady, the youngest offensive coordinator in the league. And there's a number of reasons for that. I think his work with Joe Burrow at LSU the year before has shown that he'd be a great fit with Justin Herbert. And also, uh, think about who the Chargers are, at least for now, sharing that L.A. market with. That's the Rams led by Sean McVay, who at the time was the youngest hire. I think Joe Brady makes a lot of sense for the Chargers. Now, it sounds like they've requested permission to talk to the Giants' Jason Garrett, formerly of the, of course, Dallas Cowboys. Um, what a laughingstock of a mistake that would be. Yeah, that just seems like the most Chargers possible. Like The Chargers are in a position where they could be a highly competitive team, and to say, you know what this needs is a Jason Garrett uh, is just like downright hilarious. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. It very well could be Eric Bieniemy. I mean, there's a sweepstakes yep. going on for his services. Uh, he leads the uh, the interview uh, 
racket with six so far. Um, so everybody's talking to him. Uh, and, you know, maybe he wants to stay in the AFC West. Maybe the Chargers job is the number one on his list. Yeah, and I'd, I would like to see enemy in that spot because, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I really think that's a position where, where someone could, could succeed. Um, all right, let's take a look at the games this week. Uh, actually, I guess before we do that, what are your thoughts on what happened with the Eagles there? Okay. Um, in the moment, it was a bit confusing. I, I thought there had to have been a Jalen Hurts injury. It's clear that it was draft pick related. Uh, whether Peterson was told by ownership to lose or whether he came up with the plan himself and followed it, as things stand now, the Eagles have the sixth pick. If they had won that game, they would have ended up with the ninth pick. Three spots in the first round, especially the top half of the first round, is nothing to, to sniff at. It's, you know, serious business. Losing that game gives them the best chance going forward. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, but it sounds like at least two defensive players had to be physically restrained from ap- approaching them in game. Uh, And it sounds like he pretty much lost the locker room already heading into next season. Almost by default, making himself a a lame duck coach. Uh, Again, now, if he was instructed by the Eagles brass, whether GM Howie Roseman or owner Jeffrey Lurie, uh, you can bet his job's safe. Yeah, and I, I agree with that part. The thing I wished a media person would have asked in uh, <laughs> in in that press conference is, you know, Doug Peterson came out and said, I was doing what I thought I needed to do to win the football game. And this was in a, in a joint press conference with, I think the GM of the team. And so I think the next, the next question should have been to him and said, are you going to be looking at getting a new coach since this is what your current head coach thinks results in winning? Like if, if his, if his belief as a talent evaluator is that Sudfeld is better than Hertz, then you clearly have an issue at head coach. And do you plan to make a change there? Now, no one was ever going to ask that access is important. They would see it as a troll. People would consider it disrespectful. Everybody wants to be part of the club. There's a million reasons that the media uh, is, is maybe too respectful. I think of some of these folks when, when they are as ridiculous as, as the Eagles were, um, and no one from the Eagles can say it because they're afraid that the NFL is going to find them a million dollars or some shit, right? But, you know, with all this said, I, you it's not a thing that's done in football. I guess I'll say that. If you're tanking, if you're going to have guys not suit up, um, you know, there's other scenarios where that happens. Like if you get a buy and you're trying to give your guys an extra week or even like what Pittsburgh does where they don't have a buy, but they've got an old quarterback and their position really isn't going to change. So you've they said earned... Crosby out there, yeah. Yeah, you, but you've like, you've earned the right to do that, frankly. You know, you've won enough games that, that you, you get a rest. You didn't see Jacksonville throw in shittier players at halftime. You know, you didn't see the Jets out there trying to tank midway through the game. And you didn't see even from Cincinnati, who was getting their tail whipped at home. Mm. Um, This isn't a thing that's done in football. And to do it so blatantly, 
going for a fourth down from the five for like basically no reason. Um, putting in the backup quarterback who proceeds to throw an interception and fumble and then not switching them out. It, it was really atrocious and just not a thing that's done in football. And that's part of why we like football is because that kind of thing's not done in it. Um, and so I, I really thought that was embarrassment. It was, it was an, and to have it in that primetime game, I'm sure NBC yeah. was pissed. Yeah. That's, that's just it. That's the other thing among the other couple things that I think deserve to be mentioned is, yeah, I mean, the primetime slot, what was on the line with the division crown? Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it made for what could have been a really entertaining, dramatic finish to the season uh, not happen. The other thing, too, is, any Giants fan, or for that matter, Giants player, who wants to complain about what Peterson did, maybe go win another game. You know, this season, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't have any time for Giants fans saying, "Oh, you know, the Eagles is a detriment to the sport." Yeah, I mean, we all know where your biases lie there. Um, so yeah, I don't have any time for that. If the Giants want to make cry about that, they should have taken care of business earlier in the season, won another football game. Um, yeah, and the other, the last thing is Peterson's lying to us when he says Sudfeld deserved to get some snaps because at one point he did say that. Yeah, um, like why? Yeah, no, exactly. Like there's just no justification to – I don't know why you would say that because you come off as, a, as an asshole, really. Yeah. Um, I guess the only other thing that, that I mentioned there, like it's one of those basic things of like two things can be true right? It is not an opposing view to say the Giants should have won one more game and the Eagles shouldn't have done that. Both of those things are true. Yep. I Like, I got no time for the Giants fans who are like, oh, fuck the Eagles. Yep. They did it to fuck us. No, the Eagles probably yeah. did it out of self-interest. Yep. I don't think the, they care about the Giants particularly. And really, I, I saw it more from Giants current players than I did Giants fans. That's yeah, true. It's true. I, it was... Really bizarre world we live in with instant reaction. On yeah, I don't think you get to fucking only win six games and then complain about not being in the playoffs. You know, like that makes no sense to me. Oh boy. All right. Let's do India at Buffalo, one o'clock game on Saturday, kicking us off. Second time Buffalo's kicked us off uh, in the last two years, had frankly a terrible game against Houston last year. Um, I've got Buffalo here. I'll tell you, it feels too chalk. I've already bet them at minus six and a half uh, for a sizable amount of money. I am a little nervous about this the closer we get to game time, but you know, give me a 40-year-old Philip Rivers arm out in uh, the outdoors in the Northeast in a playoff game. Um, I worry about Indy's defense being a problem for Buffalo, but... Uh, and I worry about Buffalo stopping Jonathan Taylor, but I'm still taking Buffalo here. They have looked too good and they are too hot right now to go any other direction. What do you have here? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to pick against Josh Allen right now with the way he's playing football. Uh, I see the lines minus seven. I, I think the bills can cover that. I have them winning this game. Um, there's already some people connecting the dots with Carson Wentz, maybe reuniting with Frank Reich as a replacement to Philip Rivers uh, if the Colts do lose, lose this game and Rivers does go on to retire. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I said very early on, midway through the season, that the Colts weren't going to beat anyone of any significance come come playoff time. I mean, I I kept picking against them, and they and they made me look like an idiot a couple weeks in a row. But just the brand of football they play, I you know the they're kind of like a my you know a lesser version of the Cleveland Browns right now, a run heavy team that doesn't always run the ball great. I mean, at some point they're going to be trailing in this ball game. And do we really see rivers going out there throwing three, four touchdowns to win this game? I don't see it happening. The only way they win this game is if they go in there right from the jump and Jonathan Taylor dominates the game and he's, he's playing a bit banged up as good as he's looked. I, I don't see it happening. I see the bills win and take care of the business and they, they cover the minus seven. Um, just on the line, if one of our listeners is listening and is wants to bet the bills, I strongly recommend doing it at Bet365 instead of Sports Interaction because they've got the six and a half still, at least looking at it right now. Mm, I know yeah. in general, uh, Sports Interaction gets a ton of bills money. Like all year, anytime I've looked to bet the bills, the worst side of it's at Sports Interaction because they just... They they have so much liability being like basically Canadian based, so all the yeah, all that yeah. Toronto money uh, interesting moves it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, uh, one thing no, just to watch for me here, fantasy wise, sounds like Beasley is trending not to play in this game, and I wouldn't sweat it if I were them because the way Isaiah McKenzie has broken out these past couple weeks, uh, big long eighty yard punt return TD last week, two receiving. I really think they've got some in, uh, in Isaiah McKenzie. I'm loving what I'm seeing there. Uh, Rams at Seahawks, third meeting between these two teams this year. Seahawks favored by, I've got it, it opened four and a half. I've got it at three and a half on bet three, six, five. What sports interaction at? Uh, plus three and a half for the Rams. Okay. So we're hold- er- earlier in the week, it was three and it's moved to three and a half. Oh, that's well. I, I saw it all the way up to four and a half earlier in the week. Oh, wow. Um, so there's, uh, you know, the, the there's some is, opportunity for a middle yeah. there for some folks. Yeah, late today, I don't know if this affected any movement, but late today we started to get word that it may be the case that Goff is going to make it back from the thumb surgery. I I feel like as soon as, at the start of business this morning, the status quo was that it was going to be John Wolford again. But the later we got into the, into today, it's now looking like it's Jared Goff's game to not play him. It's looking like he's going to be out there now. Yeah. And, so, uh, of course, Cooper Cup cut off the COVID list might affect things as well. Yeah, I mean, Cup being available, I think, is really important. I was listening to some uh, professional bettors earlier in the week basically saying Jared Goff doesn't move their number. Like, the difference between Jared Goff and anybody else is not enough for them uh, to change their power ranking. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but definitely yeah. the style of play that the Rams have been showing where it's like a run first, heavy run offense, um, which when they played their best was their approach. Um, it's, it, it's on the table. The other thing I'll say about the Rams here, if you like the Rams as a future bet, um, just keep parlaying money lines here. They are going to be underdogs against whoever they play, right? Um, so I've got a money line here of plus 155. So if you make your money back in half again, um, do the same thing again with whoever they play next week, uh, more than likely Green Bay, I would say. Um, and just keep 
keep doing that, you're going to get better money than you would if you ever made a future bet on LA. Uh, with that said, I intend to be doing that. I've got the LA Rams beating the Seahawks this weekend. They went one and one in the season. I know they're not at home, but I still love that defense. I think Aaron Donald can cause headaches for Russell Wilson and the rest of that crew. I think Jalen Ramsey causes problems for DK Metcalf. Um, the Seattle defense is playing better, and that's that's my key concern here. Um, but I love the plus four and a half, and I really like the money line. Give me the Rams. What do you say? I can't pick against the Seahawks at this stage in the game. I'm taking the Hawks. And I, I would think that they cover that three and a half. I really would. Um, I'm disheartened to hear that about the Jared Goff not moving the line for some people. Uh, I've never seen a quarterback achieve so much and get so much blatant disrespect. Uh, it always amazes me the amount of people that not only just hate him, but just view him as scum when it comes to quarterbacking. And, I mean, there's some pretty telling stats, uh, you know, dating back the past three years now where he's up there with with some of the real elite quarterbacks and some pretty important numbers. As far as this game goes, this very well could simply be a case of who gets the better of the Jalen Ramsey-DK Metcalf matchup. If it's a repeat of the first time they won, uh, then the, the first time they, they faced each other when uh, Ramsey, of course, famously shut down Metcalf, a red-hot Metcalf, might I say. Um, Seahawks are going to be in a tough spot if that's the case. Now, I don't see that being the case again here. I see the Seahawks winning this game. Jamal Adams, questionable with a shoulder. I promise you, if they, I mean, he's going to be out there. Uh, I've very seldom seen a player that has been as hungry to play in a playoff game as Jamal Adams. That's pretty much why he wanted out of New York. He knew he wasn't going to be playing in a playoff game there for maybe his whole career. Mark my word, he will be out there. Uh, whether they have to, you know, sedate him, cortisone him up, whatever it is, he'll be out there. Seahawks defense, I think, is going to surprise some people in this game. Cam Akers, uh, the electrifying rookie, backs back for the Rams, but I don't know, man. I don't see the game script being too good for him. I, I see uh, Russell Wilson making some plays early, and I'm not sure this game's going to be as close as a lot of people think it's going to be. I think Seahawks win. I think they win big. Tampa Bay at Washington. I love Washington in this spot. I can't pick them to win. I don't think they have enough there, and I worry about Alex Smith's mobility versus that blitz. Mm -hmm. But as I have said to you all, all year, and I think in a lot of cases you've agreed with me, the times to bet against Tom Brady is when he's got a front four on the other side that can make his life very difficult. Um, Washington is a picture-perfect example of that. I would say definitely a top five front four. With that said, I am taking the eight and a half. I have made some money line bets on Washington at the plus 325. Because, yeah, do I think given all that we know, they can win the game a quarter of the time? Yeah, 100%. Um, especially with how generally that offense has looked better with Alex Smith back there. So... Uh, I've got Tampa Bay to win because doing the picks the way we do them here, give me 50.1%. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay is likely to win it, you know, probably 60, maybe even 70% of the time. But I expect Washington to keep it fairly close, and I think they're going to be in play. What do you think? 
I think Tampa Bay wins this game. Eight and a half seems like maybe too big a number for me, though. So I think if I was actually going to put money down, I might middle it. I might take Tampa on the money line and Washington to cover the eight and a half. Uh, but you you hit it right there. I, I mean, Alex Smith is compromised. Uh, it's, you saw last week um, the Eagles specifically blitzing right down the middle as to force him outside the pocket because they knew once they got him out moving, he wasn't going to be able to do anything. And when Alex Smith is healthy, his legs are a part of his game, whether people want to admit that or not. Uh, scary Terry McLaurin's playing at less than 100%. Uh, he, he's a gamer, though, so he will be out there. And Gibson's still battling the toe injury, so he's at less than 100%, even though he is expected to play like he did last week. I, I like Tampa Bay's D. I, I have concerns that uh, Devin White isn't off the COVID list yet. He's a needle mover for me. They better hope he's out there. Um, but the good news is is Mike Evans' knee injury from last week when a lot of people feared the worst, uh, turns out it's only a hyperextension. So um, he's played through pain before, and unlike a lot of people, he plays effectively through pain. He still makes plays. So I, I don't see any setback there for the offense. I like Tampa a lot here. I, I really do. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do cover that eight and a half. But I just, I don't know. I think Washington could keep it close. I absolutely think there's a scenario where Tampa Bay blows them out. But I think most of the scenarios, you know, they're with it. They're within that six. Oh. I envision Washington having a hard time when Godwin. Evans and Brown are all out there at the same time uh, because it's really becoming pick your poison. You notice Antonio Brown having a, a strong past couple of weeks. It's because Godwin and Evans are, are getting all, you know, Brown's in there as the third guy. He's drawing third string corners. Yeah. Sometimes four string. Right. So yeah. I, I expect Brown to keep feeding because for whatever, for what it's worth, Brady seems to like the guy a lot personally. I know. I just think he's going to get happy feet, though. Yeah. Very well could happen. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll see here. But, yeah, I like Tampa to win. Now, I, I, I think Tampa loses their next game, regardless of opponent. I think they win. I think they're a one and done. I think they win this and then they're out next round. Yeah, I, I think that's right, too. And, you know, on the, like, everything's rigged front, like, Vegas has the most exposure to Tampa Bay winning. So that's my being sure that Tampa Bay won't win. <laughs> um, it would be a good story though. Cause the Super Bowl is an Tampa, unbelievable right? story. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, since I've been following the sport, I've just been waiting. Like I naively early into my fandom thought, Oh man, that's going to happen real soon. You know, host mm -hmm. city, they're going to win a Super Bowl mm -hmm. real mm -hmm. quick and still has yet to happen. Yeah. I don't see it happening this year. I don't think there's even been an appearance. So, uh, see how that goes. Uh, Baltimore at Tennessee. Listen, I'm going to be short and sweet here. King Henry is King Henry for a reason. Uh, Tennessee has faced Baltimore twice. They have beaten Baltimore twice, and I believe in Mike Vrabel. Give me Tennessee. Where you at? I'm digging the Ravens, and before I looked at the official lines, 
I was expecting this to be backwards. I was expecting the Titans to be favorites. Uh, maybe it was just based on seeding record. I don't know what it was, but obviously, um, obviously Vegas slash the market, however you want to term it, really respects the way the Ravens have been running the football the past couple of weeks, especially last week against the Bengals. Uh, talk about uh, just a, a whacking on the ground. I'm picking the Ravens here, and in, in I'm disappointed because when I first looked at these games, I thought, oh, man, there's, there's my underdog. And then I, I come to find out that, oh, no, I'm actually picking a favorite. <laughs> again, I'm surprised. I, I, thought, uh, I really thought that it was going to be uh, Ravens plus three, Titans minus three. But, yeah, Titans plus three and a half. Um, as far as the line goes, it's a tricky one. This very well could be a close game. I, I just – I see Lamar Jackson stealing this game, going out making some plays, remembering last year. I think the Ravens have a bitter taste in their mouth going back to that game last year. I think they're going to come out hungry. I well believe coached. the quote from Robert Griffin III was, we're going to get our bike back. Yeah, there you go. That's a great way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, I love the way the rookie Dobbins and, and Gus Buss are running. Uh, and they're finally getting Hollywood Brown going. Uh in a low volume passing attack, which is, which is always nice at the end of the day. Look, as long as the Ravens and the Ravens do have the corners to run with a guy like AJ Brown and Corey Davis, as long as they don't let AJ Brown beat them. And of course, Derrick Henry goes without saying, but I think with Henry, you just accept that he's going to burn you a bit. So you just kind of stock that into the, uh, the equation. I like the Ravens here. I do. I, I think they win this game. Chicago at New Orleans. Uh, listen, the line that I'm, I've seen most of the week for this game has been 10 and a half. I think it might have gone down to 10. Yeah, it's sitting at 10 now. Uh, I think New Orleans wins this game, but that 10 is way too big. Like, there's a world where the Chicago defense just gives a more or less stationary Drew Brees fits. Um, now, I expect the New Orleans defense to give Mitchell Trubisky fits. Um and I certainly think New Orleans wins this game, but that that ten points seems like way too much. What do you think? I was shocked to see it double digits. Absolutely, um, it made me wonder what the biggest point spread for a playoff game might be. Um, that is that's certainly a big number. It, uh, it was almost certainly this same New Orleans team against Seattle in the Beastquake oh, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were seven and nine. Uh, but hosting that playoff game yeah you're right that uh that was quite the upset yeah i'll never i'll never forget that run funnily enough uh, yeah Yeah. mike mike mayock of all people was the color guy on that that telecast Um, oh really yeah yeah, or nfl network or something i guess eh? yeah i I think it was yeah or an obscure cbs game i'm not sure what it was but yeah he was doing some uh kind of commentary he didn't do much of it but yeah okay as far as this game goes, I like the Saints winning, but like you, I have concerns about that line. Um, some speculation that if the Saints lose this game or go on and lose next round or really come up short of the Super Bowl, uh, that Breeze will be retiring, and I assume that would include even winning the Super Bowl. I go against that. I think he's going to be back next year. I think he knows that's that color commentating job slash studio job isn't going anywhere. 
and it will be there for whenever he retires. I, I really think short of the Saints winning a Super Bowl, he's back for one more kick at the can next year. Fortunately for uh, the state of Louisiana, that's not going to be an issue this week. Saints take care of business. Main question here from the Bears' point of view is, does Trubisky play well enough really to get another chance week one next season? Um, without having seen how this game's going to play out, I think based on Trubisky's last couple of weeks, I think he's played himself into – I think it's a mistake. I think it's going to set them back a year. I think they're just kicking the can down the road another year and they'll just end up ditching him next year. But I think Trubisky is going to be back and as the week one guy, as things stand now. Uh, I think the, well, there's two ways to think about this. My thought is the best thing that could happen to this team is that Trubisky goes out and totally self implodes and it is clear to them that they need to move on. Yeah. Um, The flip side. The the refutable evidence. Yeah, the the flip side of that is okay. Well, let's say that happens. Then who do they go get? Like, could be a Carson Wentz. Uh, could be oh, yeah. Wentz uh, is a good name. Yeah, or they could draft a guy. Yeah, I Cause, still because th- that's one thing Nagy gets to say to management. And for all we know, it's what saved his job to this point. Yeah. Is hey man, I I I haven't got to go out and get my guy yet. Yeah, and some would say, "Oh, well, Foles," but no, I mean it really wasn't. Foles was more of a putting Still. a bandaid on a leaky pipe. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, you know, we talked about this a little earlier in the year. You have to wonder how much Nagy getting that job was incumbent on him saying, "Like, oh yeah, I can work with this guy." Um, but yeah. with that said, like the Wentz thing, I think money makes it a problem for him. Um, Stafford might be available, but if you're the Bears, the Lions are never going to trade just Stafford. Uh, and so really what you're looking at is drafting someone, but you made the playoffs, so like, what quarterback are you going to draft with number 16? Um, at the, you know, This isn't to say it's impossible, but like realistically, I, I don't see what their options are next year that aren't Trubisky, which is such a hor- awful thing to say about a team. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's but they they need to move on. I just don't know how much they gain by figuring it out sooner. The other message I have for Bears fans is, and it, and it sucks for me to admit because I'm a huge Khalil Mack fan. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't get back to dominating ball games for you next season, that, that contract becomes a bit of an albatross. Well, the contract and the he, trade, both of yeah, those, yeah. you know. He had an admirable year this year, right? Like it was borderline Pro Bowl level. Clearly he was always out there playing at less than 100% playing hurt, which is great. But um, yeah, he wasn't his normal dominating self. And if the Bears are going to do anything next year, they better hope he gets back to that. And the worst part is the guy that they thought was going to be an upgrade across from him over Leonard Floyd, Robert Quinn didn't do Jack Diddley squat. Meanwhile, Leonard Floyd had a sack on Sunday that ensured he triggered a one point, I think two, five million bonus. So a breakout year for Leonard Floyd. Um, Bears just couldn't get that one right. Yeah. Cleveland at Pittsburgh, Cleveland missing a bunch of coaches due to COVID, including their head coach. 
I've seen some talk on Twitter today, although let's face it, most of the day on Twitter has been based around other things. Um, but there was some talk on Twitter today around um, uh, giving what Stefanski some kind of remote access to still be able to call plays and things like that. Mm. Um, I don't know how I feel. Like I'm trying, I try to put my, my Pittsburgh Steelers fandom aside uh, for a question like that. And on, on the one hand, I think given the extraordinary year, yeah, maybe you can do that. You put a camera on them. You use some kind of video, like some kind of screen monitoring process. Like you'd have to be very careful to make sure he's not getting any more information than he could have otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. This isn't a game of Madden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I don't, unless you're like literally just giving him a sideline, like you're going to put a GoPro on a coach's hat, who, you know, whoever this acting head coach is, you know, and that's it. That's the only screen he's allowed to watch. Um, I don't think he can do that. I, I think it's worthy of looking at, but I think if he's going to have any better view of the field than he would have from the sideline, you can't have him do that. So um, I, I, I've got Pittsburgh here. When the news came out about the coaches, I saw what kind of impact that had on, on Detroit earlier. Uh, and I went even harder on Pittsburgh. Um, underrated thing, not a lot of experience on this Pittsburgh team. Not like, you know, as much playoff experience as the team has and as Ben has, um, the, the, the rest of the, you know, position players don't, don't have a ton of it. So I wouldn't be shocked by a choke, but obviously I got the Steelers here. What do you say? For me, the big loss for the Browns is their Pro Bowl guard, Joel Bintonio. For a team that, has an identity of, of wanting to run the ball and establish that kind of game script, uh, an interior road grading lineman in the run game uh, that is really the foundation of that. Uh, losing him is a, a mega problem. Not to mention the longest tenured Cleveland Brown. Uh, it just sucks from a storyline perspective that he doesn't get to play in that playoff game. This game pretty much comes down to Big Ben for me. Uh, what version of Big Ben are we going to get? Are we going to get the, the, uh, old winter version that we've got the past couple weeks old man winter or are we going to get the the ben who clearly had a healthy elbow and healthy knee from mid-year when they were absolutely rolling now normally i would say as good as their defense is with a run game it wouldn't matter what ben shows up but whether it's their refusal to run the ball or their basically not being able to do it when they've wanted to be able to do it. No matter how you, no matter how you crumble this cookie, they're not running the football, whether they can't or they won't, they're not. And I do have a lot of concerns about that, especially this time of year, especially against a team that has so much success running the ball. I, I don't know, man, if the, if the healthy capable Ben shows up, then steals win this game hands down. But if he doesn't, they're going to, they're going to have some problems, especially if they fall down or if they're trailing early, this could get ugly, man. I mean, if he's not able to, to go out there and chuck the ball, we could have some problems. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Steelers six and a half though. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I don't know if they cover that six and a half. Maybe they only win by a field goal, but I, I feel confident they're going to win. Uh, all right. So those are all the games this weekend. I am pumped. I'm even more pumped. Uh, and, and this is a strange thing to say, I guess, but like I am more pumped for next week where the winners of these games, the guys with a little bit of momentum, you know, uh, even the upset winners start to, you know, they have to go play each other. That's, I always find that divisional round to be the best round. So I'm really looking forward to this and it's going to get nothing but better. And it's going to get very sad because football will be over and all we'll have is the world, but, uh, that's fine. Let's talk about the uh, Hall of Fame class. Four out of these fifteen, four to eight, pardon me, four to eight of these 15 names are going to be elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jared Allen, Rondé Barber, Tony Bosselli. I don't know that guy, although he's a tackle, so yeah, kind of makes um, sense. The way I remember him is when uh, the Texans did their 0-2 uh, entry draft type thing where teams got to protect players. The Jaguars didn't protect Baselli, and I believe he was the first of all those players. Uh, not a supplemental draft. Basically what Vegas did in hockey and what Seattle's about to do. I forget the term for it. Yeah, the expansion um, draft. Yeah, sorry, expansion draft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, he was the first of the expansion draft picks of the Texans. Never suited up for the Texans. Basically, guy that was always hurt, but he had such a good career at USC and such an early good career for Jacksonville that, again, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but a lot of people seems to think he should be. Yeah. Uh, Leroy Butler, Alan Fanica, Steelers Pride, uh, Torrey Holt, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Peyton Manning, obviously, and Clay Matthews Jr., Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Zach Thomas, Reggie Wayne, Charles Woodson. So I think Manning is a lock. I, I think there's a real good chance they send Wayne in with him, um, especially considering how much he continued to produce even after Manning uh, moved on to the Broncos. Um, he, had, he had some good years with luck there as well. I believe that Fanica should be in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I thought, I'm pretty sure he was eligible last year. I thought he should have got in last year. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I thought he should have been first ballot, but like yeah. guards, you know, it's it's harder for guards sometimes. Should have been first ballot for sure. Yeah. I think Charles Woodson and Calvin Johnson are locks to be first ballot. Yeah, I think Calvin Johnson's a lock. And sorry, what was the other name you said? Charles Woodson. Mm. Okay. I think Woodson gets in first ballot. Yeah, I, like I, I can definitely see that. I, I don't have a strong argument against it. Seymour is interesting to me on this list. I wouldn't have expected him to make the finalists. Yeah. Um, guy that called it quits maybe a couple years too early because he had a bit of a contract dispute there. He didn't feel like he was going to get what he was worth. Even well, he, got, he, was... he got traded because of his contract, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in vintage Belichick style, yeah. um, when it came time to pay him, they shipped him out. Got paid pretty good by Oakland the first couple of years there, but a guy that was still effective and could have kept playing but chose not to. Um, in some ways, surprised we haven't seen more of that over the years, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised Lynch isn't in. I would like John Lynch to go in as a player, although he plays a style of football that the league does not like anymore. So I wonder 
what that's worth, but I always thought he was an exceptional, like just an absolutely exceptional safety. Um, extremely physical. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, I, and I agree with you. I think Troy Holt, it's surprising that he's not in there. Um, though you do have to wonder, like he came kind of at the beginning of the league, starting to trend uh, in a direction of, you know, passing and how, how much did he benefit from that? But um, definitely has the stats to back it up. So I think, I th- let me ask you about a couple names here. Jared Allen, why don't we think he's a lock? I think he gets in. I just don't think he's a first ballot guy. Yeah. Um, not to say I don't think he deserves to be a first ballot guy. I just think it, there's an embarrassment of riches and not everyone can go at once. Not everyone can be a first ballot guy. Again, I thought Alan Fanica should have been first ballot. Uh, as far as John Lynch goes, John Lynch and Rondé Barber both on this list. Both are a member of the, that uh, 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that won them that Super Bowl. Um, very nostalgic defense to me. I'll still stand by the comment that I've said before on the show. The 2000 Ravens and the 02 Bucks are the two best defenses I've seen to this date. And so you're not going to get an argument out of me that Rondé Barber, John Lynch, Warren Sapp, Simeon Rice, Derek Brooks all deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And as far as Torrey Holt goes, I, I feel the same way about the Gray Show and Turf. I thought I was one of – I was – I'm still flabbergasted that more people didn't think Isaac Bruce should have got in. I see that he's not on this list, so he must have fallen off. But to me, Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, all should be in there. Um, So if if I had to guess at who gets in here, I I agree with you that I think Johnson and Manning are absolute locks. I think they got to put Wayne in on the first ballot as well. Um. Which Woodson is interesting. Woodson will get in before Wayne. Yeah, it's now interesting they, they to me because, like, time. yeah, I mean, Wayne going in in the same year as Johnson, like, people are going to look at that and be like, okay, well, one of these guys is a Hall of Famer for sure, <laughs> you know, and the other guys, not not like slagging on Wayne, but like, you know, uh, he, <laughs> like, different kind of wide receiver. Like, the output's not even on the same planet. Um, in Torrey Holt's prime, he was a better, and I'm a University of Miami guy, so I love Reggie Wayne, but in Torrey Holt's prime, he was a better receiver than Reggie Wayne when Reggie Wayne was in his prime. If, sure Torrey, if Torrey Holt had played on the Colts of Peyton Manning, I mean, his numbers would be out of this world. Reggie Wayne was number two in that offense for how long? Like, how yeah, much oh, of Reggie yeah. Wayne's success yeah. came from Marvin Harrison? Yeah, right? Marvin Harrison was, was the 1A, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one guy we haven't mentioned, Zach Thomas. When I started watching football, the two best middle linebackers in football were Ray Lewis and Zach Thomas, and that's all yeah. there was to it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so I, I'm not sure Zach Thomas doesn't deserve to get in. The problem with Zach Thomas is he didn't win diddly squat. Yeah, yeah. And I right. think that's part of the problem with Jared Allen too, right? I, I mean, he had some success with the Vikings with Favre. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously didn't win a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think Johnson, Manning are absolute locks. Uh, I, I would expect them to try to put Wayne in with Manning. I think you're probably right on Woodson. Yeah, you know, I'm telling you, the two teams that he starred for, uh, not that it should be included, but his Heisman College career, 
um, and him working in the media now, I, I just feel like there's so much bias that Woodson's going to get in. Yeah. Now, people forget, man, in his early tenure with the Raiders, he was a bad boy, man. He was there – were, there were some people that didn't want anything to do with Charles Woodson on their team. People thought, oh, it's only Al Davis putting up with that. Um, yeah, so – there was a there was a point there where his career could have gone a completely different way. Um, anything else on the Hall of Fame before we move on? Uh, how about Calvin Johnson? I mean, you know, we talked about. Or I mentioned how I thought Richard Seymour should have played or could have played a couple more years. I think we all know Calvin Johnson had more left in the tank, and it would be interesting to see what his final numbers could have been had he kept playing. Because Stafford's still there. I mean, you know, they. I think Calvin Johnson could still go up there. He might not be the number one over Kenny Galladay, but I think he'd be uh, over Marvin Jones in that line's offense right now today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any UFC news you want to touch on before we definitely do, you know, 10 um, minutes on the world? UFC making its debut on ABC – uh, for Fight Island's January 16th card, uh, headlined by Max Holloway versus Calvin Qatar. A lot of people excited for this fight. Uh, I have some mixed feelings about it. I thought Max Holloway won that second Volkanovski fight. I feel like even though it's unprecedented to have a trilogy bout when one guy's lost two of them, like I said, I thought Holloway won that second one. I thought it was robbery. Some people thought he even won the first one. Volkanovsky's adamant that he doesn't want to fight him a third time. I disagree with that. I think that there's unfinished business there. Hopefully Holloway, I'm sure Holloway will take care of business in this Qatar fight. And hopefully we can get him and Volkanovsky together going forward. Um, but yeah, the, the main takeaway is that it's going to be on ABC. Um, this is big time. Uh, if you thought when UFC started on ESPN that was big well ABC that's uh you know network broadcast television um it's gonna be a big deal there's you know believe it or not in 2021 there's still some people who don't get ESPN but you mark my word they do get ABC yeah it's it's interesting and I think ABC will be excited well I don't know that is the right word but I, I mean it's going to be relevant. If they get a huge number off that, you, you can expect them to, to put a bunch of fight nights there. Yeah. You know, on the hallway thing, I think my position is pretty known at this point, right? I think he has to play gatekeeper for a while and yeah. just n- knock down anybody else who wants to um, take a title shot. He's got to basically leave himself as the last person available for that. Yep. Um, the one The one concern I do have about that is that uh, we all know Volkanovski's history as being a former much heavier rugby player. And I believe he's even come out recently and said he's not long for this weight division. He's eventually going to not be able to cut weight so much yeah. and he's going to have to move up. So his future is one weight class up. I just hope him and Holloway can settle the business before that day comes. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you want to say about Dana White threatening to... Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Dana White, it's all well and good to put out threats on Instagram that you have a surprise for anyone who illegally streams UFC cards um, in 2021. I just don't think it's very practical. Um, I I think for him to go down that rabbit hole is not only going to cost him in the UFC, 
a ton of money, I, I think they'll end up spending that money and they'll end up nowhere. Um, the toothpaste is out of the tube. There's no putting it back in. There's no keeping the internet down. You can shut down these sites. They're just going to change the suffix of the website. They're going to move it. Um, they're going to hide it in cooking recipes, which is, you know, I, I mean, there's millions of ways that they're going to get around this. Dana White's not going to be able to stem this tide. And, you know, it's cute for him to put out these uh, these little threats out there, but it's just, it's it's a fruitless endeavor and the sooner he realizes that the better how do you feel yeah i mean uh, the, and just uh, for some context this is in response to the ufc bumping up the pay-per-view price by i think 10 us dollars yeah i one just completely fucking tone deaf right like coming off a covid year um where countless Americans have lost their jobs. And um, while the economy is really working for some people, it is really not working for a lot of people. Um, it, you know, it is unbelievable that you would even raise the price of this shit, especially after some of these fucking cards you put out there. Cause I'll tell you what, like I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a UFC guy. I think like, I, I, I'm a fan. I think it's it's a, a good thing. And I have often paid for them. But probably the last three or four haven't been solid enough cards for me to pay for. Um, so I'm... Three or four is probably too many. It's probably just two. But, like, these guys really got to sort their shit out. <laughs> um, and, and read the room a little. And learn something from uh, uh you know what itunes basically showed us everybody was pirating music until it was easier to just pay a buck and get it yeah you know yeah. spotify yeah too absolutely um yeah spotify pay 10 bucks a month and get it or whatever right like th there's no reason for these guys to try to gouge on this like old school pay-per-view model um if if you made these things 10 bucks a month, how many views would you get? Like, I, I just don't get how increasing the price, like how many people are going to stop watching it? You know, they, they, this might add to revenue, but I still, I just don't get it. It's, it's really, um, just read the room. I'll say it again. One, one last thing I do have to add to it. Dana White is in the fight promotion business um, by nature. That is marketing and promotion and i don't think he realizes that some people who are who are consuming these illegal streams then go out and make 10 ufc fans of their friends and family five of which who might pay for pay-per-views so really they think they're losing money in some ways they might even be making money yeah absolutely um all right so if you hate politics talk unless smart there's a the sports story well I, I wanted to get your opinion on the John Elway news. Um, I oh, was, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I should do a, a mea culpa. I, I was wrong. Um, well, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that he wasn't going anywhere within the organization, but I was wrong that he was going to remain GM. Um, in what only John Elway could accomplish 
in the Denver, Bron- Denver Broncos organization, he seems to have been fired upwards. Um, he is no longer the GM, but he is now, I think, uh, head of player personnel or president of football operations, whatever fancy title it is. No longer has he does have some input, but will no longer have final say on the final roster uh, draft or any player signings. What do you feel? Um, I'll believe it when I see it because elevating yourself just uh, you know are are you going to say you're not going to be involved at all? Um, yeah, I, it's uh, conflicting reports whether he elevated himself or whether it was forced on him. I'm not well. Sure. Okay, but he he was elevated. Yeah, well, so, that's just it. He was fired upwards, as far yeah. as I can. Yeah. So, but like, is has he said that he's going to have no football input? No, it sounds like he's still going to be pretty hands on, but that the GM, who I guess Fangio now has a say in, right. further cementing his uh, job security, uh, it sounds like that GM they hire will supposedly, quote unquote, air quote, have final say. Yeah. So. Well, I think we all know Elway's still going to be breathing down his shoulder, right? So so that's it. I will take this opportunity to do a very minor victory lap here because I think we, we had a uh, conversation maybe last year about this because it's been obvious for some time uh, that Elway needs to go. Um, where I said, like, I think the most likely scenario is that somebody has a conversation with him where they're like, Hey John, like let's move, we'll move you into a different role and we'll let somebody take this out. But like, you're a legend and we're not going to throw you under the bus or whatever, but let's, you know, work towards the peaceful transition of power. (laughs) Um, and, And I think that's more or less exactly what we've seen now, how well that works remains to be seen because if somebody says Drew Locke's not the guy and we got to move on from him, you know, somebody wants to draft, uh, Who's the Florida kid? Task? Trask? Trask, yeah. Um, A lot of people thought he should have won the Heisman. So if someone's out there in the Broncos organization and their pick comes along and they're like, we got to go get Trask, um, you know, like, does Elway step in and say like, no, no, we've got our guy with Drew Locke. And, and who wins that battle if it happens? Reading the tea leaves from uh, what Vangio was quoted as saying, uh, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, it sounds like Locke is probably not going to be the guy. Yeah. And rightfully so. And and, and the other thing I would say on this, not to, um, not to slag Josh Allen, because this isn't, the, it's quite the opposite. What Josh Allen has done this year has been absolutely remarkable as far as the amount of improvement we've seen year over year. It's, it's insane. It's, it's a, a colossal jump that he made and has proven most football guys who I was parroting on this show wrong when they would say you can't improve accuracy. He's, he's the first quarterback anyone can remember that who's drastically improved his accuracy. Um, I think I mentioned on the show last week after Monday Night Football or whatever that like whoever uh, that camp is that was they were showing the accuracy drills that he did with some you know third party group those guys are gonna make a fucking fortune off this um, you know upping the price they're charging clients now. Um, with that said, one of the worst things that might have happened to teams like Denver. Um, 
teams like Jacksonville, you know, uh, is uh, maybe even teams like the Bears. You know, there's going to be teams that are like, "Ah, should we move on from our quarterback and then go like, no, but like, look, if the guy just has the right work ethic, he can work through his issues and do this thing. Now, a little bit of that is revisionist history because Josh Allen at the end of last year was still much better than Drew Locke has ever been. Um, but if it gives teams like the Denver Broncos hope, it should not. Drew Locke is not redeemable. Drew Locke will not lead you to the promised land. Um, Drew Locke is not an NFL quarterback, and it's, it's time for them to realize that. I think he's an NFL quarterback. I just don't think he's among the 32 starters. I think yes, he's sorry, that's, that's probably yeah. correct. He's not yeah, a think, starting NFL quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to settle into a nice um, Matt Schaub-esque role as a career backup. And I Happy trails. That, yeah, I mentioned that because we, we got word, I think it was yesterday, that Matt Schaub is retiring after 17 years. Yeah. Okay. So... Usual disclaimer for people who don't like political things, stop listening now because we go and get political. Um, A group of terrorists uh, made an assault on the U.S. Capitol today. Um, I would argue they were both successful and unsuccessful. Uh, It depends on what you consider their objective to have been. If their objective was to stop the certification of the vote and stop Biden from becoming president, they were clearly unsuccessful and and they will be unsuccessful. Uh, If their objective was to flex muscle and be disruptive and (laughs) own the libs or, or whatever, Uh, There was some success to that. And if part of their uh, goal was to, um, how would you say this? Uh, Just continue to destabilize norms and um, undermine tradition in the country in favor of something of a cult of personality, they were absolutely successful. It was an unprecedented day. Uh, let's, let, let me just start with you. What, like, what did you hear today? Did this seep into your, like, um, like the things you were looking at in the world, did, was this something that like came in through sports? Like I thought it was so weird going to the ESPN website and ABC being the top story there about um, what was happening in the Capitol. Um, so let's just start there. What, how, how did the news of the day reach you? Well, for the past uh, week or two, I've been noticing Trump on Twitter tweeting, see you January 6th, 6th over and over again. And so I'd been anticipating uh, January 6th. Uh, To me, that was a blatant dog whistle to the biker groups, to the fringe uh, white supremacists to come out and demonstrate. Um, As far as today goes, the most surreal part of the day was when he released the video that he released. Um, 
where he did at the end tell people to go home, but not before basically inciting more by saying, you know, it was a lopsided election victory and it was stolen from us, et cetera, et cetera. One thing that I, I think should be taken more seriously is his lawyer slash mob conciliary, uh, Rudolph Giuliani, basically calling for violence. Uh, I believe his comments yesterday were, we're going to take it back by force. Um, there's really only one way to interpret that. So I don't know why Giuliani's not in handcuffs tonight. Um, yeah, uh, just very surreal. Um, and I, I'm seeing breaking news now that the woman who was shot and killed is a, a four, is a 14-year Navy veteran. Uh, did not see that coming. Uh, yeah, a real crazy day. So... Someone on on Twitter tweeted, and, and I, you know, sorry for not crediting, but like the part that is most unusual to me, um, it just seems so obvious to me that at this point the conversation should just be in what lawful fashion they are removing the president, um, and not if. Like, it should be a matter of like, okay, so are we impeaching or are we invoking the 25th Amendment? Um, there are, uh, there's a substantial amount of reporting indicating that um, the military in deploying the National Guard either purposefully or, well, almost certainly purposefully, um, didn't include Trump in, you know, the civilian control of the military to, to do so that it was clear that Trump was happy with what was going on. There's reports from the white house saying that AIDS saw him um, finding it encouraging because it was interrupting the proceedings. Um, so I, it, it just seems like a, you know, the president of the United States is cheerleading uh, the the mega crowd nonsense. Um, so why? Like, like, like how how do you just leave this guy in power after this happens? It seems absurd to me. One thing that I do I think deserves to be mentioned is I can only imagine what the rest of the world thinks when they see this. I mean, talk about embarrassing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've I haven't seen, um, you know. I mean, this is Putin's wet dream. Oh my god! Best case scenario for this guy. the The Russians are thrilled with their investment. They upset the Chinese economy. They completely destabilized democracy. They made it look like a fucking farce. Like, yeah, uh, it, it, this is, it's unbelievable. And, and the fact that, you know, they, they gotta, they gotta go out and charge these guys. Like the, those folks that went in there, they gotta get the fuck out. And, and, and the goddamn shame um, of having folks out there dragging a fucking Confederate flag through the Capitol building. 
you know, like America's over. Like, is like, is this the last act? Are we just watching the last act of this shithole country? Because that was completely out of control. What happened there? When is inauguration day anyway? Because it seems like things could go on like this for a couple of days. Well, it's it's the twentieth, so we've got oh, two man. weeks of President Trump still. I've uh, said it in the past. Um, there's way too long a time between election day and inauguration day. I know there's a lot of transition stuff to get done and whatnot, but man, I mean, the election feels like six months ago now. Yeah. And, and part of why, um, part of why this was all set up in the fashion that it was, was because, uh, the, they didn't have the internet and telephones at all, you know, like yeah. this, this yeah. timeline was set up before you could send someone an email, you know, they're like, we need to set up this timeline so that we can uh, post to Florida for two weeks, you know, take the, take the three weeks by horse that it's going to take to, to find out this or that. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think it, it would be reasonable given um, the modern world to revisit that. And this is the other thing that I think is, is troubling about America. You know, they, um, they actually did a pretty brilliant thing of setting up, you know, they set up their constitution and then uh, set out scenarios in which you could amend the constitution, understanding that as time goes on, there will be new problems and issues that you need to uh, find a resolution to. And so, uh, the very the very end of it, it th- this is the kind of stuff that they could solve, right? They could p- pass a constitutional amendment that said the new, you know, what well, the new inaugurational day will be January first, will be December, you know, eighteenth or whatever. Um, you know, give a six week transition period in, instead of this long. Um, you know, ex White House people would tell you. Uh, that it doesn't feel like long enough. And I would say like, listen, it's never going to feel like long enough. There is no amount of time that's going to make you prepared to work in the white house. I think. Um, But lots of other stuff they could do, like pass a constitutional amendment uh, that the president needs to undergo an MRI every two years, 18 months to prove to the American people that his brain is in good working order. You know, um, there are some serious flaws that have popped up that no one really has an appetite to address here, but like, especially around criminality. Um, and you can also have conversations about money and politics and corporate power and, and all of that. These are all things that require constitutional amendments and nobody wants to have that conversation. So that's, that's worrisome. They weren't even able to pass a law saying that women are equal. So or a constitutional amendment saying women are equal. So uh, I, I guess I shouldn't be too, too shocked about that. But uh, I digress. Today was a real dark day for democracy. And, and if there's any good that came out of it, it's that hopefully America is going to think twice before they try to export democracy ever again, because this is some bullshit. I thought thought Jake Tapper said it well today. He said, uh, you know, 
focus in on what you're seeing and remember what you're seeing because in the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, Republicans are going to try to whitewash this and, and talk like it never happened or it happened to a less serious extent. I, I think he's absolutely right about that. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I think Rudy Giuliani should be in handcuffs right now. I think that's the only way it should be. The guy who's basically incited riots. Um, in what looks absolutely hilarious, uh, Rudy Giuliani meant to call Senator Tommy Tuberville to ask him to object to 10 states' electoral votes to buy Team Trump more time. He accidentally left a voicemail on a different senator's phone. <laughs> and so it is out in the oh, open now. Quote, just try to slow it down. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, that's... Tommy, uh, Tommy Tuberville, of course, the former Auburn head football coach, um, very qualified. I know. A, a U.S. Uh, politician. It'll only be so long before Saban comes out there. Yeah. I, I, I say that. That's Nope, that could be a real thing for sure. Yeah. Just on that note, a couple college football takes. Um, sure. First of all, I thought that hit on Justin Fields was a perfect Oh, my hit. God. I, that, I like, what a for, great hit. Right yeah, in the yeah. chest. Are you open kidding me? Open field tackle on an athlete like that? Open field like that? Do you have any idea how hard that was to make? And it was kicked out of the beautiful. game. Yeah, it was beautiful. Like, that didn't even deserve a penalty. Forget kicking the guy out of the no, game. No. Targeting. I, I just, like, I understand the literal rules that if you lead with a crown in your helmet, they consider targeting. But I, I just thought it was a great hit. Um, also, too, I think Justin Fields is a tough son of a bitch for continuing to play in that game. Not well, only play in that game, but play well. I think he played himself into his hides, the number two overall pick to the Jets. Uh, he did play that well. Can just, somebody explain to me, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but like, can somebody explain to me how you wrap a guy up at the waist yeah, without no, just, your helmet, like yeah. physically, like, is it, cause I get, I get that you're supposed to keep your head up, but like, if you, if you bend down, if you get to a 90 degree angle, even with your head up, what, like, it's going to happen sometimes that you hit there. Funnily enough, the same player was actually ejected for the same foul in last year's title game against uh, Justin Jefferson, of all people, um, in that LSU-Clemson game. I didn't know that until we went right before air. Uh, crazy. Um, yeah, I yeah. just thought the Justin Fields hit was perfectly – I thought it was a great, great – football hit. Yeah, I thought it was a great tackle, great football yeah. play, great athletic play. I don't think people realize how hard it is to break down in the open field and tackle a quarterback of that little level of athleticism with those kind of legs. I was terribly impressed by it, and I was terribly disheartened that he was ejected. And the last thing I want to say about college football real quick is they can call these the college football playoffs all they want, but let's, uh, let's just call a spade a spade here. They might as well rename this the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State Invitational at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, it's getting so bad. Um, I don't know if uh, March Madness style tournament is the answer. I don't know if that translates to football, but I don't know. I certainly know they have to expand it to at least six or eight teams because a team like BYU not getting in, I think is tragic. Uh, they did everything they were asked to do. They cleared their schedule. They did everything in their power. I don't know what a team like BYU could do to get in that they didn't already do. I'm not saying Notre Dame shouldn't have been there, but we all know Notre Dame was there for money reasons. Yeah. And uh, I mean, listen, Ohio lose, State. Man, if you lose to Clemson like that, I don't know why you get the opportunity at a rematch. 
Well, I know. I mean, they split the season series, but we all know why Notre Dame won that but first game. Did. Trevor Lawrence was out with COVID. Trevor Lawrence was out with COVID. You were at home with fans and you fucking, uh, and that key linebacker, the same guy we talked about who just got knocked out, Selecki or whatever his name is, was out with COVID or or something for that game too. It's like you had the leader on offense, the leader on defense, and you were at home and you beat them in double overtime with their backup quarterback, backup middle linebacker at home with fans. I'll tell you, man. You get blown out the second time. Notre Dame is the biggest scam in college football. Uh, they're not held to a conference. So basically their schedule, like there's no accountability year to year. I mean, it, can you imagine if they had to play in the SEC every year? Huh. So I, the amount of rules that are created on the spot, bended to suit Notre Dame in their donor, large donor fan base, it's enough to make your head spin. I really think college football needs to expand or come up with a new format because it's got to be something other than Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson every year. Yeah. Um, you know, the the other thing I would make note of here is like, <laughs> to, to what extent uh, do we just accept that college football, like the professional thing, is less of a sport and more of a product at this point? And they just have the added benefit of not paying people to work for them. Because that's, that's how it seems, especially talking about this Notre Dame situation. Like I agree. Now, uh, as far as the playoff goes, I think there's an interesting discussion to be had there. Um, is listen, there were like, there, there were people out there saying uh, you got to let Cincinnati in and you saw what happened when Cincinnati faced Georgia, you know? Um, that was a good game. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it was a blowout, but like um, non-Power 5 school loses to Power 5 school in conference game happens pretty regularly. Um, and so I think it might not... Uh, I, I think be careful what you wish for. I think Cincinnati would have been fucking embarrassed if they were playing against Alabama, right? Um yeah, and Notre Dame just barely wasn't, but they yeah. they shouldn't have been there in the first place either. I, I guess it's just BYU this year that that stuck in my craw. I would have really liked to seen what BYU could have done against some of those teams. Yeah, the, I I do think the problem is if you expand it to eight, that that one versus eight matchups going to be a yeah. fucking nightmare. Yeah. You know, um, I wouldn't mind doing a expanding it to six yeah. and giving two teams a buy. I really think they got to do something because four having it four and then having it be the same three every year. Yeah, exactly. That's just not working for anybody other yeah. than those fan bases. Even when OSU only plays six games. Yeah. And again, like if they had gotten blown out by Clemson, that would have looked a lot worse. The fact that they beat Clemson kind of stems that tie, but it's not fair. No matter. I know COVID changed things and made things not fair, but yeah, I mean, you compare BYU schedule to Ohio State's, it's uh, pretty unfair in my books. And one last note on BYU. I don't want to make this the the Brigham Young Cougars hour, but uh, Zach Wilson, their quarterback that declared for the draft, I'll tell you, we all know who the first three quarterbacks off the board are going to be. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Kyle Trask, likely in that order. But I'll tell you, number four better be Zach Wilson. And it better be at the end of the first round, if not the middle of the first round. I think Zach Wilson's the real deal. And I think he is a pretty good consolation prize for a team that's looking for a quarterback and isn't going to get one of those top three guys. 
Okay. Well, as always, we thank you for listening. Um, my name is Charles. He is Nick Smart. I feel very uh, odd right now because last night I said, my wife asked me something about college football and I said to her, I, I don't know anything about college football. And then we just did 10 minutes on it. Um, thank you as always for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.